Welcome to episode 165 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on August 21st, 2021. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to give you one last reminder about the DLN MegaFest, and that is happening tomorrow. So to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the Linux kernel, we at the Destination Linux Network are throwing a party, and all of you are invited. Join us tomorrow at the live recording of Destination Linux for the first ever DLN MegaFest. So the MegaFest starts at 1 p.m. Eastern Time with the recording of episode 240 of Destination Linux, but the festivities have already begun. We have a few planned events for the fest, and the first one is I want to let you know about the giveaways, because we are going to be doing giveaways for Steam games through the fest, and you can enter right now. That's right. You can just go to the the discourse forum for the dlnforum.com and just reply to the giveaway thread. Simply tell us what Linux means to you, and you're entered. That's it. We'll be randomly picking winners throughout the event. And then we're going to do a live hangout where everyone is invited to join. The link to join will be posted on the DLN forum at the beginning of the fest. Then we'll be going to giving a $500 donation to an open source project of your choice. That's right. During the fest, we'll be taking suggestions so anyone can list out an open source project that they love and want to support, and we'll put them into a metaphorical hat, so to speak, and then select a project to show some open source love to. Then we'll round out the MegaFest with a GameFest. We're going to be playing a few games like Hedge Wars, Zenotic, Among Us, and we may even play some Splitgate. So join us tomorrow for the first ever DLN MegaFest. Link in the show notes. Up first this week is Pine64 has announced a new e-ink device coming to their lineup called the Pine Note. Last week on Destination Linux 239, Wukash Arasinski from Pine64 joined us for an exclusive interview about the new product, the Pine Note. I highly recommend checking out that episode because there's a lot of great information about the Pine Note. I'll have it linked in the show notes. Now, I'll still go through, provide like the details about this device in this show for those who just want the information as fast as possible. But like I said, it is worth checking out that episode for Destination Linux 239 for the interview. So the specs of this device are as follows. So the core a- aspects of it are the CPU is a RK3566 from Rockchip. It's a 1.8 gigahertz 64-bit quad-core A55. The GPU is a Mali G522EE, just rolls right off the tongue. And it comes with 4 gigs of LPDDR4 RAM and a whopping 128 gigs of storage. It's very uncommon to have that much storage on a device like this. So it's also the RAM, same thing. So it's a very powerful e-ink device. And the e-ink display is a 10.3-inch display with 1404 by 1872 resolution. It's got a 227 DPI, and it has uh, 16 levels of grayscale and 36 levels of light. And you can also control the different type of light, so you can have a cool or warm light. So if if you like the style of paper or you want to have a sepia style, you could do that as well, which is really cool. And it has a capacitive multi-touch panel, which is basically what you see on a phone for a touchscreen. But it also has an EMR EMR pen digitizer panel, which is basically a Wacom panel. Uh, A Wacom panel is awesome because of a couple of reasons. One, it's 
Wacom, and they're known for being fantastic for art tablets and that sort of stuff. So I'm super excited to do that, to try that with like Krita and that sort of thing. But also because it's using a Wacom style panel, it has support for all the different pins that it normally would in that kind of panel. So you don't have to just use the one that comes with the Pine Note. You could use uh, any of them that have support for EMR if you have one of those already. Now, also, the it comes with Wi-Fi, of course, which is uh, 802.11a, b, g, n, and ac. It has 2.4 and 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi. It has Bluetooth 5.0, and it also comes with microphones for some reason. I'm not sure about that one, but it's interesting. It is going to come with some speakers as well, which is cool because if you want to use it to listen to podcasts like this podcast, for example, you could do that. Uh, and it also has a 4,000 milliamp hour uh, battery and for the first batch, they're going to be doing something kind of interesting. So they're going to be doing a Braveheart style first batch, and they're going to be uh, providing the EMR pin with the magnetic attachment and also the cover uh, by default in the first production batch. However, this batch is not for everyone. So Pine64 says they expect the first batch to be available sometimes towards the end of the year, but this is, like I said, a Braveheart style batch. I'm using that term because that's what they use the first version of the PinePhone. They called it the PinePhone Braveheart Edition. So Pine64 updated their blog post about this to add clarity for those who are excited for the Pine Note as soon as they can get it, because I'm one of those people. And uh, they say that edit for clarity. Uh, we're seeing a lot of excitement and comments like shut up and take my money. Uh, which is, you know, the kind of thing I would say. <laughs> and they say that um, that we're we are a community of developers first and foremost. If you're looking to buy a PinePhone in the first batch, you must expect to write software for it, not to write notes on it. The software shipping from the factory for the first batch will not be suitable for taking notes, reading ebooks, or writing dissertations, that sort of stuff. It may not even boot to a graphical environment. So. It's very important to keep that in mind. If you want to get the Pinone as soon as possible, you still might want to wait for the second batch. And it looks like I'll likely wait for that second batch, I guess. I'll try to be patient, but this is something I've wanted for a long time, so I can't wait to click Add to Cart, you know, that kind of thing. But if you'd like to learn more about the PinePhone, PinePhone, the Pine Note, then you can check out the blog post or the exclusive interview that I mentioned with Pine64 on Destination Linux, episode 239. Links to both of those in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of the Mate desktop environment. After 18 months of development, Mate 1.26 has been released and it contains a lot of improvements in terms of features and modernizing the code base and optimizing for performance. So what's new in Mate 1.26? The highlights of this release are as follows. There's a lot of things, but the first thing that for me is one of the most important things is the improvements to Wayland support. They're putting a lot of effort into Wayland support, which is great to see. They're also made a big improvements to the Pluma uh, text editor for Mate. It's gained a lot of stuff like the new mini map, which gives you instant overview over the content, a new grid background pattern to turn in, to turn pl uh, Pluma into like a writing pad. Also, the, the sort of plugin now, uh, the sort plugin now supports undo actions, and the preference dialog got a total redesign. But the biggest addition is the brand new Pluma plugin system, so you can take the text editor and turn it into a feature rich IDE with support for stuff like bracket completion, comment, uncomment code, built in terminal word completion, and more. So, also, they've made some big improvements to the notification system. 
So they become much more useful as they've gained support for hyperlinks inside of the notifications. And my favorite, that they have now finally added a do not disturb applet, which is awesome. Now, uh, also the Kaha file manager has got a lot of new improvements, being able to format a drive from the context menu. There's also a new bookmarks sidebar option to then they've integrated the Kaha actions, uh, Kaha Kaja, I don't know, extensions to enable uh, adding arbitrary programs to be launched through the context menu, which is fantastic because this is for people who want to have, you know, be, be able to create scripts and then launch those to the context menu, which is very nice. Uh, this release also saw improvements to the calculator app, the Atrial document viewer, and the Marco window manager, as well as the control center got some UI improvements. If you'd like to learn more about this release of 1.26 of Mate Desktop, then you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have the first of many distro releases for this week. Manjaro 21.1 codename Pavo has been released, powered by the 5.13 Linux kernel. Also, quick note, Philip Mueller from Manjaro will be going to join us on Destination Linux tomorrow for an interview about Manjaro 21.1, so you don't want to miss that. And now, for those unaware, Manjaro is a rolling release distro based on Arch Linux. Typically, rolling release distros don't have these kinds of numbered releases, but Manjaro does, and I kind of like that because it makes it easier for me to include it as a topic on the show. I mean, for example, OpenSUSE and Tumbleweed and Arch Linux release so much it feels like every day, and that might be a bit much to cover on a once-a-week podcast. Though it is worth noting that if you already have Manjaro installed, you only need to upgrade because this release is more of like re-spinning the downloads for people who are just getting started with Manjaro. So let's talk about what's new in this release. Manjaro 21.1 has major improvements to the installer, including file system selection for automatic partitioning and enhanced support for ButterFS. As a fan of ButterFS, I am very happy to see improvements in the Calamari's installer for this. In fact, the default subvolume layout has been improved for easier rollbacks and also space saving on snapshots. Also, swap files are now supported on ButterFS and Manjaro, and this is nice for those who need swap but don't want to dedicate space to it in their system or, you know, sp isolate space just for their system. So the GNOME edition of Manjaro took a bit of time but has been updated to GNOME 40 in this release. They have also decided to redesign the default layout to follow more closely upstream to GNOME. For those who don't like the new layout of GNOME 40 and prefer the old vertical style desktop layout, Manjaro has created what they call a legacy layout. This will mimic the previous GNOME layouts from 3.38 and before. And for those unfamiliar with what changes happened for GNOME 40, check out Twill 144 for the breakdown. Also, the KDE Plasma edition of Manjaro comes with the latest version of Plasma with 5.22 and includes the latest versions of the application suite with KDE Gear 21.08. You can check out episode 155 of This Week in Linux for the full details about the cool stuff that came in, in KDE Plasma 5.22 and last week's episode 164 for the stuff with KDE Gear 21.08. Oh, I also wanted to mention that Manjaro talked about uh, the push KDE is making for Wayland support in their release notes, which is cool because whether or not you think Wayland is usable, it is coming and distros do need to be ready for it. So uh, also Manjaro's XFCE edition has been updated to XFCE 4.16 and we talked about that release of 4.16 in depth on Twill 133 back in December of last year. But for a quick recap... 
XFCE 4.16 refreshed looks with new icons and a color palette. Also added support for fractional scaling, which is fantastic. And the uh, Thunar, their file manager, received quite a few notable features, such as being able to the ability to pause and resume, copy and move actions, uh, support queued file transferring, and much more. If you'd like to learn more about Manjaro 21.1, then you can check out the links in the show notes. And also join us tomorrow for the Manjaro interview on Destination Linux. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBoss. With managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. You simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle, well, basically everything. The provisioning, the managing, the scaling, the updates, the backups, and the security of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., and together they have ensured that you get will get access to the latest release of MongoDB's document database as they become available. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free, because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash dln dash mongo. Again, go to do.co slash dln dash mongo. That's dln dash mongo to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is the latest release of Zorin OS, and they say that Zorin OS 16 is their most advanced version ever. They say that it refines every level of the operating system from how it looks to how it works. And speaking of looks, Zorin OS 16 design has been refreshed, including the introduction of a new dynamic wallpaper that changes based on the time of day. This is a nice touch of polish, I think. And they say that the speed has also been a top focus for them in Zorn OS 16, so the system runs much snappier on a wider range of hardware. Zorn OS 16 also introduces a new welcome tour. And I'm so glad more distros are doing this because it makes it so much easier for beginners to Linux to get familiar with the system faster because they can be presented with not only information about how to use different elements of the system, but also in the case of Zorin OS 16, you also get access to special features quickly like setting up online accounts or setting up Zorin Connect, which is a fork of KDE Connect, and also customizing the desktop and much more. Hopefully more distros will jump on this trend. And laptop users will be happy to hear that touchpad gestures have been added to Zorin OS 16. You can quickly switch between workspaces by uh, swiping four fingers up and down, pinch on the, the touchpad with three fingers to open the activities overview, and more stuff. Also, FlatHub repository is now available out of the box to more easily install Flatpaks. So for those who don't know, Flatpak is a, or FlatHub is essentially the de facto central repo for Flatpaks these days. So I'm very happy to see it included because without having a repo, it's kind of weird. Like it's in like it's, some distros have Flatpak installed, but no way to get Flatpak. So that's kind of weird. But it's nice to see that more distros are looking into using the FlatHub. Now this means that Zorin OS 16 comes out of the box with FlatHub, the Snap Store, Ubuntu, and Zorin OS app repositories for easy access to install a variety of applications. And the built-in software store also received many under-the-hood optimizations as well as user interface improvements. Now one of the things that I'm most excited about this is their new source menu because if you go to the install an app in the store 
and it is available from multiple repos, such as the Flatpak or the Snap Store, you can use the source menu to select which one to install from directly inside of the store. And I like this approach, and I hope more Linux-based app stores consider it because it cleans up the experience quite a bit. Plus, regardless of how you feel about the various app formats, it is important for them all to be supported in the various app stores, in my opinion, so I like the way that they're approaching this. And the next feature that is very interesting, they, they call it the sideloading Windows software. So Zorin OS now comes with a built-in database that detects popular Windows installer files. Yeah, so that the system can kind of guide you through the installation process. It's not clear exactly how it works, but I suspect they do some sort of hashing to detect the files and that kind of thing. If the system recognizes a Windows installer file like an EXE or an MSI, it will guide you through the process of suggesting a source to install it from. Now, this could even be a native Linux package from the software store by, you know, or using Lutris or Steam if it's a game. They also have a feature called Windows App Support, which is powered by Wine, to install apps that way. I think this is very interesting because the the ease of use to get apps has been somewhat of a complaint over the years for users. And uh, this approach intrigues me because this might put Zorin OS closer to the top of my list for distros to suggest to beginners since they're coming up with these kinds of ideas. And I really like the idea that if it finds a an EXE or MSI file and it's there's an option for having a native package for Linux instead, that it will install that one. That's very cool. There's also a lot of other notable features like fractional scaling for high-resolution displays, which is really important, uh, being able to join Active Directory domains from the system installer, a better finger, fingerprint reader support, uh, also so much more. Plus, there's an all-new desktop lay layout available in Zorin OS 16 Pro, which resembles the default interface of Windows 11. I'm not sure why a user would want that, but I guess it's nice that they put in the effort to offer it for those that do. For those that don't know, Zorin OS 16 Pro is the commercial available edition of Zorin OS, where you pay a small fee and get a bunch of extras added in. Now, some people are, bo are bothered by the premium part of a distro having that, that, you know, they don't think it's a good idea. Now, I do think it's a good idea. The, the work has to be funded in some way, and offering both a free and pro edition is a reasonable way to do that, in my opinion. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Zorin OS 16 or download it for yourself to try it out, you'll find links in the show notes. Up next in the show is another distro release, and this time based on the latest version of Debian, which is, of course, Debian 11 Bullseye. And this distro is Sparky Linux 6.0. So Sparky Linux has updated their repos to reflect the new version of Debian, as well as made some, some performance improvements and, of course, bug fixes and that sort of stuff. But I wanted to talk about a few things that they have also available in Sparky Linux 6.0, and that is the Aptist App Center. It's essentially an app store plus also a system tool which is pretty interesting. So you can add and remove over 2,300 popular applications, they say. But what makes it more than an app store is that it can help install other things like pre, uh, 20 over 20 pre-configured desktops as options, as well as other things like swapping out your kernels. So it's really, really interesting. Plus, Sparky Linux 6.0 has the Sparky Welcome app, and I'm also glad to see that Sparky Linux is joining the welcome trend. And you can use the new welcome app to get info about the system, help from the community or wiki, uh, quickly perform upgrades, and also launch the Aptis App Center. Uh, Sparky Linux also makes a note that Sparky 6 still supports older 32-bit machines. So if you have an old computer that you just can't let go, 
maybe Sparky Linux 6.0 is worth a look for you. And if you'd like to learn more about Sparky Linux 6.0 or just give it a try, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of KOS Linux with version 21.08. For those unfamiliar, KOS Linux is a distribution designed to be optimized for KDE Plasma and the KDE stack. This is, of course, it gets it some points for me in my book, of course. So at first glance, KOS Linux kind of looks like an Arch Linux-based derivative because it shares some of the same tools like Pac-Man. It also has the KCP, which is similar to the Arch's AUR. However, it would be more accurate to say that it's inspired by Arch rather than based on Arch because they do a lot of things differently. Uh, KOS Linux is a very interesting distribution because they focus on just one DE, which is Plasma, one toolkit, which is Qt, and one architecture, which is x86-64. So if you want a rolling release distro specifically tailored for those things, then KOS Linux might be for you. Now let's talk about what's new in KOS Linux 21.08. The biggest news for this release are the major changes to the aesthetics of the distribution. They have redesigned their Midna theme, which is a custom theme they make, including working on the login screen, uh, the lock screen, cleaner splash screen, and more. Uh, the application menu has been replaced by KDE's new kickoff menu, which was introduced in Plasma 5.21 for a much more modern experience from the previous uh, cascading style menu. Uh, KOS Linux 21.08 also includes the latest version of the KDE application suite with KDE Gear 21.08. And if you'd like to know more about KDE Gear, then check out the last week's episode of 164 of Twill, where I talk about that in much more in depth. And Chaos Linux 21. Point, KOS Linux 21.08 comes with the latest version of Plasma with KDE Plasma 5.22.4. Now, the uh, Calamari's installer now has the ability to carry over the network settings for the live system. So no longer do you need to enter the Wi-Fi password again after booting the new installed system. This is very important because uh, I'm pretty sure that this is going to apply to other distros that use Calamari's installer. And I know some people will be very glad to hear that that's a possibility because for a long time in Linux, that was an issue people had with installing distros. Now, KOS Linux also comes with CrowSO, and that's their custom welcome app for helping with configuring a new install and that sort of stuff. So KOS Linux has had CrowSO for quite some time, but I wanted to just bring it up again because I think it is very important to point out when a distro has this sort of stuff because it's not that common yet and it really should be. So anyway, if you'd like to check out the KOS Linux 21.08 release, you'll find links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is a fantastic password manager which allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, Bitwarden provides the tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords in login forms so you don't have to do it. And you also can have access to across many different types of devices like web browser extensions, mobile apps, desktop applications, and even on the command line if you want to do that. Bitwarden also seals and encrypts your private data before it ever leaves your devices with end-to-end -end encryption, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is very, very important with a password manager. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also want you to check out the premium account because they have a lot of great features for less than a dollar per month. That's right. 
Less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, party customer service, and so much more. You get all of this for less than a dollar per month. That's right. So you can get Bitwarden and have peace of mind knowing that your pass your your passwords and your other sensitive data is safe and secure for less than a dollar per month. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we have the release candidate for version 15.0 of the distro Slackware. Slackware is this new up-and-coming distro that you may have not heard about before. But, but and it does things a bit differently. Okay, I'm kidding, obviously. Slackware has been around since 1993, so it's essentially the oldest still active Linux distro. But I just couldn't help myself, had to. Anyway, now typically I don't include beta or release candidates of distros releases because, you know, unless there's something special about them. And in the case of Slackware, the thing that is special is that it is Slackware. Now, what I mean by that is, like I said, Slackware is one of the oldest still maintained distros, but it doesn't see releases very often. It's the kind of the opposite of Arch and OpenSUSE of Tumbleweed. Uh, for reference, the last release of Slackware was 14.2, and that happened a year before I started making this show. And if you compare main releases and not point releases, then the time from 14.0 to the upcoming 15.0 is almost a decade. Because 14.0 was released in September of 2012. So I'm going to cover it because, well, it's Slackware. And I want to. As for what's new, we'll go into more detail when the full version hits, but essentially everything. It's been a while, so everything has changed. Uh, Slackware 15.0 will now be using the GCC 11.2 for compiling, and they also say that they might want to try to get the next point release of KDE Plasma in before Slackware 15 actually gets released for like some final touches, but we'll see if that happens or not. So if you're a Slackware user, then your wait is almost over for the latest version. Also, were you waiting for Slackware? Also, if you are a Slackware user, why? Now, I'm not trying to be snarky here. I know that kind of sounds snarky. I'm, I've used Slackware a long time ago during my early days of Linux and my Linux journey, but I'm curious if you still use Slackware these days, what are your reasons for doing so? This is not to make fun of anything. I'm just very curious. Please leave a comment below on the forum or on the forum thread for this episode because I'm very interested to know your, you know, your reasons for using Slackware. And if you'd like to learn more about Slackware and what's coming in the next version of 15.0, then you'll find links in the show notes. Kaden Live 21.08 is out with an upgraded engine, bug fixes, and many interface and usability improvements. Also, this version now requires MLT7, which comes with new time remapping feature, and also it's more stable and has more uh, concise, consolidated code stuff. Also, ML MLT7 sets like a foundation for a lot of stuff people have been wanting, such as uh, GPU uh, acceleration, multi-core support, uh, improved color management, and that sort of stuff. Those will be coming in MLT8, though, so this, this latest version is just setting the ground floor for that. Also, it is worth noting that because of the update to MLT7, some stuff has been removed, like the auto mask effect has been removed in MLT7, along with some other uh, legacy and buggy modules. And due to this, these, these changes in MLT, Kdenlive uh, cleaned up the code base and removed old and unwanted tools like the DVD wizard. 
yeah, I forgot that there was even a DVD wizard in Caden Life, and there was, but now and not anymore. I think we'll we'll all survive that without that having that in Caden Life. It's fine. Also, it's important to note that Caden Live team said they do not recommend opening old projects with Caden Live 21.08 due to these changes. It might be fine if you don't use any of the things that were affected, but just uh, just know that there could be issues if you do that. And also, thankfully, uh, Caden Live uh, provides app images in like previous versions of the application. So if you need to open an older project, you can use one of those to do it. KDLive 21.08 also has a lot of new features, and some of which I'm very excited about. There's a new time remap feature, which allows the keyframe the speed of a clip. For those unfamiliar with video editing terms, this relates to speed ramping, so you can basically control the speed playback. So you can you can slow down some stuff to do like a slow motion effect and that sort of stuff. And this has been a sought-after feature for a lot of people for a while, so I'm really excited about this one. Also, panning through the timeline has become more fluid and a smoother experience due to performance improvements, which is always nice. And they also added a couple things that I requested, like the guides locked feature for moving guides along with clips while using the spacer tool. This is so fantastic. It's hard to explain why I like this without like demoing it. So maybe in the future I will, or like maybe on DL or something like that. I don't know. I, it is fantastic. I also request the ability to use uh, keyboard shortcuts to switch a focus of various different dock widgets. And that is in this release too, which is awesome. Uh, and it's hard to explain why I want that too without demoing. Maybe I'll just make a video about these things in the latest version, uh, you know, that kind of thing. The Caden Live team is also a great example of a great open source project because, you know, not just because they listen to me, but because they listen to the community and the users, which is fantastic. They also added a new uh, support for the com the K command bar so uh, service, which is like a, a fantastic feature that allows you to have like an easy way to search for and perform actions with like a command palette pop-up effect. So you can do like changing themes, adding effects, opening files, and so much more. I've talked about how cool these types of features are with like the command bar slash command palette, which... I'm not sure where they started, but I, I, I first was experiencing it with, through a text editors, and it's really nice to see them you know, be put into more applications, especially with the KDE stack, having the K command bar, making it possible for uh, almost any application to be able to do it, which is just amazing. So I'm excited to see it added to Kden Live. And if you want to activate it to see what it is, uh, Control-Alt-I while in Kden Live will activate it. And if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of Kden Live 21.08, then links are in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Element Chat. We've covered Element on the show many times before because it is a secure and end-to-end -end encrypted and independent communication platform powered by the Matrix protocol. Element slash Matrix is one of the platforms that we have a presence on for the DLN community, so if you want to join us in the DLN Matrix space, then you can check out the links in the show notes or by going to destinationlinux.network slash community. The latest release of Element has introduced some cool features like the new voice messages. You can now record voice messages and send them back and forth because sometimes text just won't do, right? <laughs> the Element team says this has been one of the most sought after features for a long time and voice messages are cool. I've used them quite a lot in other applications so it is really nice to see that being added to Element. But my most requested feature is probably scheduled messages. So you can write a message, and then schedule it to send at a later date. That would be fantastic. So, Element, uh, please. That'd be great. Also, Element also had a VoIP support for a long time, but for 
about a year or so, but they've in this latest release, they've redesigned the whole system. So like the one-to-one voice and video calls are pretty much entirely redesigned. They also added screen sharing support on the web and desktop clients. They also added some nice polish features to the like the ability to see if another person is muted or also the ability to put a call on hold if you need to, which is really interesting. Plus, there's also a dial pad, which suggests at some point you might be able to make phone calls an element. That's pretty baller. Uh, there's also made a lot of updates to the mobile apps like the iOS and Android apps. Though I'm most excited about the updates to the desktop interface for the desktop client. They have improved a bunch of stuff like the light image light box, making it possible to pan and zoom images that you can send, you know, that kind of thing. But they've also redesigned replies. And I'm very glad to see the redesign of the replies because previously, if you replied to something, like especially an image, it would redisplay the entire image in full size. And that would make it a chore to scroll through a very active room like the Destination Links Network Matrix Room, link in the show notes. Now, now though, the replies will condense it to, so like you now have a gist of what the reply is about. And if you want to learn more about the reply, you can quickly, you can click on it uh, on the quota reply and it will jump directly to that message, which is really cool. You may be thinking, that's how it works in other apps already. And you're right, but... Element slash Matrix is exciting because it is a modern communication platform with a heavy focus on security and privacy. So it doesn't have all of the great bells and whistles of features that some apps do, uh, but it has the most important one, which is privacy and security. And then it has a bunch of other stuff on top of it. So it is really nice to see when they're doing these kinds of things. Uh, I, I wish they would you know still add schedule messages. Very important for me. But... There are a lot of cool stuff they're adding. And many other platforms like Telegram don't even know what the terms privacy and security mean, apparently. So, you know, there's that. If you'd like to learn more about Element or join me in the DLN Matrix room, then you'll find links in the show notes. So last week, I acquired a new laptop to play with. You see, I was previously rocking a Dell Latitude E5510, which was brand new in 2010. So yeah... I've needed an upgrade for a while. And I was making do with that laptop for many years, but upon arriving at Ryan's house, it became apparent that I should finally upgrade. For those unaware, Ryan is a co-host with me on the Destination Linux podcast and also with me on the Hardware Addicts podcast. Now, I've not been much of a hardware addict over the years, but recently that has changed quite a bit by being on that show, Hardware Addicts. And it's kind of like basically talking about hardware all the time has made me want to get better hardware and if if you if you want to see a fun unboxing of the new laptop check out the live video that we did uh, myself and ryan on his dos geek youtube channel i'll have a link to it in the show notes below but anyway the story goes i pull out my ancient laptop and start working on dln stuff and after ryan's laughter subsides he convinces me to upgrade the laptop so off to best buy we go and by the way Best Buy has significantly improved in recent years. Just saying that. Just you know. While we're at the store, I'm trying to decide between a few laptops, and I end up choosing the HP Envy X360. Now, is it because the name of that laptop rhymes, the HP Envy X360? No, it's not that. But that is a nice bonus, I will say. The reason I selected it is because the 2-in-1 touchscreen touch tablet functionality of this laptop because that means I can use it with the next subject of the next topic, and that is Krita. 
So Krita 5.0 has hit beta, so if anyone would like to help test it, you can find the link in the show notes. Now, since this is a beta, I'm not going to deep dive into this particular uh, episode, but I will when the final release comes out. I can't wait for that. But I did want to tell you about a few things. They created a new resource system that they've been working on for about five years. They've added a new gradient dithering and also uh, wide gamut gradients. They also have a new, uh, all new My Paint brush engine, as well as completely rewritten the color smudge brush engine and redesigned the animation timeline and just so much more. I can't wait to tell you about the like the deep dive into it when we get to it in the future. But for now, I just want to talk to you about it because. I, well, I'm pretty excited about uh, Krita 5.0, and I can't wait to play with it on the new X360. I mean, I will wait because I have to finish recording and then edit the show, but soon, sometime soon. If you'd like to learn more about Krita 5.0 and also check out the video I did with Ryan about my new brushes, then check out the links in the show notes. Finally this week, I wanted to let you know about the latest Humble Bundles. For those aspiring engineers and physicists watching, there's a surprising amount of stuff for you in these bundles. In the Engineering and Physics Bundle by Mercury Learning, you can get books for AutoCAD, Mechanical Engineering Exam Prep, Newtonian Mechanics, also Foundations of Physics, Solid State Physics, Quantum Mechanics, and in the Math, Statistics, and Game Theory Toolkit Bundle by Morgan Claypool, you get an introduction to multivariable mathematics, numeral methods, partial differential equations, integral calculus, you know, the simple stuff. And for the rest of us, there's some game bundles to check out. Uh, Jackbox uh, Summer Party Bundle, the Big Brain Game Bundle, which has Battletech, XCOM 2, the Battle of Polytopia, 5D Chess with Multiverse Time Travel, which is a really interesting idea. I want to play that one. And a lot more, plus a bundle for with a, it has a great pun name that is Seven Deadly Sims. Sims, as in simulator? Fantastic. If you'd like to check out any of these bundles, you'll find links in the description and in the show notes. Also, to be clear, the links will be affiliate links, so if you would like to support the show and the channel without any additional cost to you, then please use those links below if you decide to get one of those bundles. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, then please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. And if you become a patron, you can join me during the live streams in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and to just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at thedealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other great stuff that is there, like the hats, the mugs, the hoodies, the stickers, and much more at dealinstore.com. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hard Radix, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux network. And also while you're there, there are other shows like the Pseudo Show, the Fedora Podcast, and much more. So check that out at destinationlinux.network. And also, just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So just to join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. <laughs>